One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to the big events that will move markets and certainly cause comment. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means the outlook for the Bank of England's interest rate setters this month, particularly post-budget. We'll check in on the high street for an update on the retailers. And finally, this is how a multi-billion dollar camera company began life on the stock market. Snap. I'm joined by Tom Knowles, economics correspondent of The Times, Deirdre Hipwell, our retail editor, and Alexandra Freen, business columnist at The Times. Welcome to you all. Tom, I'm going to start with you, if I may. Uh, the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee are going to be discussing interest rates. And of course, they'll be doing so now, won't they, in, in the full knowledge of what's in the budget and what it means. Let's just remind ourselves, this is how the Chancellor sees the state of the British economy anyway. I report today on an economy that has continued to confound the commentators with robust growth a labour market delivering record employment and a deficit down by over two-thirds. As we start our negotiations to exit the European Union, this budget takes forward our plan to prepare Britain for a brighter future. It provides a strong and stable platform for those negotiations. It extends opportunity to all our young people. It delivers further investment in our public services and it continues the task of getting Britain back to living within its means. Tom Noble's sentiments all sounds rosy. Do you think that's how the Bank of England's interest rate setters will see it? Yeah, the Bank of England were ahead of the game. They uh, upped forecast growth uh, for 2017 to 2% from 1.4% earlier forecast. It's more the government is now in line with the bank rather than the other way around. Um I will eat my metaphorical hat if even one member of the Monetary Policy Committee votes to raise rights. Um, they're taking the long view. Inflation is going up a little bit at the moment. It's 1.8% um, and will probably be about 2% by February. But they're just waiting and, and sort of seeing the long game. And I think it will be not till the end of the year, if that, that they'll start looking to raise rates. But shouldn't we be concerned, Tom, because while they gave us a nice growth prediction for 2017, isn't it all downhill after that? Uh, yes, pretty much. Uh, the Office of Budget Responsibility, which is the budget sort of watchdog, uh, said that although this year will be very good, you know, strong growth, 
uh, inflation not too bad, uh, borrowing very low. Next year and the f- years after that, it will be as expected. So the, the, although we have a very good year this year, the sort of uh, downgrade is going to be shallower but longer, essentially. Um, so yeah, in, in in the next couple of years, I'm sure the bank will want to do something around rates and, and not uh, sort of see inflation spiking, but not for now. Can you see a situation where their hand may be forced, however reluctant they are, we're seeing US interest rate rises. Do you, do you think there could be a knock-on effect to the extent that they'll have to say, we've got to raise rates now? Well, that used to be the thing, didn't it? it when when the US Fed uh, decided to raise rates, everyone just followed suit. But I, I would say that now they're in on such different patterns. Um, and I think Brexit has given them a bit more of a free reign to say, well, we're, we're doing our own thing here um, and this is right for Britain. Um, I think maybe Kristen Forbes, who's one of the more hawkish members of the MPC, might, she's only got uh, three MPC meetings left before she leaves, and and she might be one of the one of the people raising uh, voting to raise rates. But I think the majority will just seal their hands for now. Do you think once Article Fifty though is triggered, could that change the landscape? Well, who knows? Article Fifty. Yesterday, I was at the Office of Budget Responsibilities uh, meeting where they sort of say their forecast for the next five years, and they just kept saying, "By the way." All of this could change because of Brexit. We're just completely uncertain. It could all, you know, it all depends on negotiations. So who knows? Absolutely. I think it'll be important to see how the economy actually fares once, because we've been in this kind of phony war, haven't we? And now once we actually do the deed, so to speak, it'll be interesting to see how it reacts, particularly we're already starting to see um, consumers starting to rein in their spending. And I think that can have quite a cumulative effect um, if that starts to get to gain ground because uh, once you lose that confidence. So it'll be interesting to see how the economy fares. And of course, that could, you know, lead to the economy either remaining as robust as Philip Hammond says it is, or it can actually expose weaknesses that we haven't seen now because we've all been in this weird kind of limbo before Brexit. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it has basically been the humble British shopper that has kept the economy afloat since Brexit. You know, they've shrugged off the initial impact. But now we're seeing all these signs of, you know, originally shoppers were just diving into their savings, piling debt onto credit card loans. But now it's starting to pace back a bit. And that's completely true. I mean, Morrison's this week were really interesting. Their figures were very good. But what they were saying is their experience of the changing consumer behavior is that although the petrol prices are going up, people are not buying more fuel. So if you were putting in 30 pounds of fuel in your car six months ago, you're still putting in 30 pounds, you're just getting less fuel. So people are just reining back. They are not lifting their spending to keep up with you know, the inflation that we're seeing um, in the grocery sector as a result of the fall in the pounds. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues throughout the year. I mean, in terms of currency, just for a moment, Tom, we've seen the people talk about momentum, don't they? It swings too much one way. Everyone was very pessimistic. And in fact, as Deirdre just referred to, everything went swimmingly. Now we're seeing possibly the other side of it. Is the change on, on, on that pendulum, for want of a better word, going back the other way, is it is it a chance that it could get much worse than predicted? And uh, quite soon. Well, it was interesting. The, uh, I keep going back to them, but the OBR had uh, right at the end um, of their you know, 200 page report, they had two alternative scenarios that they're saying could happen. And one of them is that uh, the sort of 
inflation just keeps spiking and consumes massively ring in spending and, and we could see a recession by 2018. So, however, at the moment, the pound's doing okay. It's not uh, as bad as it was. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's picked up a bit. So maybe that will help a little bit. Everyone's saying the inflation is going to be a temporary thing. It's not It's not going to be there forever. Um, it was just an impact from, from the Brexit vote, essentially. Alex, can I ask you here, with your experience having been in North America for so long, we look to America, don't we? If, if things when we were talking about Article 50 are bad with Europe, can we really rely on America uh, stretching out a hand to help us and perhaps set the way by saying, well, we'll go first with the trade deal? Do you think we can look to the Americans or have they got enough problems on their own plate? I don't think we can look to America for anything anymore. I think all bets are off. It is such a strange period in history. And I, I think nobody knows anything uh, that's coming out of the Trump administration. I would like to think that you know they would be sensible and grown up on trade, but um, they're not sensible and grown up on so many other things. And they have so many um, internal problems. I think Donald Trump doesn't really understand the dynamics of world trade. And so I don't think we can rely on anything. We, all we can do is, is hope that there'll be some grown-ups in the room when it comes around to actual things happening. And Trump's main focus seems to be about being what's good for America. Like he, has, he seems to be adopting quite a protectionist approach to American business. So I just imagine that would permeate kind of every trade negotiation. So it would be interesting to see how, how that um, works with Britain. But surely, I mean, even if they were to extend a hand, I mean, Europe is such a huge trading block for Britain. I mean, that has to be the primary focus, I would have thought, for the UK initially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although the US is our second biggest sort of trading partner, so they're very important. But with with Trump, actually, I, I'm just always baffled by the way these economic organizations and the market seem to get incredibly excited the moment he even mentions sort of infrastructure or tax cuts, even though he hasn't done much of that yet. Um, so it seems everyone's just really pushing him along and hoping he'll do a lot better than I think he will, but who knows? But I think, I think it's all... It's important to remember that he needs to really understand. He, he wants to make America great again but and, and protect American interests. But, you know, closing all the borders won't necessarily protect the interests of the electronics industry, the, the motor industry, you know, two of the big engines of the American economy, because those are um, cross-border industries that import so much um, of their uh, product, their expertise, their parts. So it, it's hard to see how that's going to translate into what he wants it to translate in. And and I think that Deirdre's right is, is that, you know, despite all the uncertainty of Brexit, and incidentally, wasn't it interesting in that cut you paid a Philip Hammond at the beginning that he goes, I'm preparing Britain for, and you expect him he's going to say Brexit, and he goes, for a brighter future, and you're like, like he forgot that Brexit happened. Um but, but I think we're going to find a lot more certainty there. And I just think it's, you know, what will be interesting to see in America just as an observer and not someone living there is he can't seem to do anything at the moment without being challenged on every front. I think Hawaii is, is now filing a, a challenge against his latest travel ban. So you just, I mean, if there was gridlock under Obama, I mean, I, it, it seems like it's going to be a thousand times worse under Trump because he can't. Know. He got he yeah. got so many of his appointments have been voted through by both houses. You know, even some of the controversial ones, he does yeah, carry both houses, which Obama didn't. Um, so I think he. You know, it depends which legislation he goes for first. And, and if he does force a vote on health reform in the next few days, which is what he's now threatening to do, that might all 
start to unwind it all. And, and, and that's where he might lose the support of his own side. But I don't think we can predict anything. It's all so weird. So no change on UK rates, probably not in Europe, but uh, certainly in America. Deirdre, if I could turn to you about that, we talked there, touched on it briefly about retailers, and Alex indeed was talking about how, you know, the consumers of last resort, Britain and America, very much the same. The consumers keep the economy going. British Retail uh, Consortium, their, their retail sales monitor is out. But in the broader picture, so many people have invested and work in the retail sector. What's What's the outlook, do you feel? given what we've been talking about. I think it's very difficult. I mean, it is one of the biggest sectors. It's also a sector that's um, heavily taxed through business rates. It's a sector that is facing an enormous uplift in costs between now and 2020 because of the increases, the proposed increases in the national minimum wage. They've got the apprenticeship levy. So you've almost got this perfect storm where you've got an unprecedented situation post-Brexit where they're dealing with huge swings in currency. The pound has been low for quite a long time now. That's having an immediate impact on their sourcing costs. So they're trying to cope with inflation at the same time that their costs are rising and at the same time that the consumers might be deciding, well, actually, I might want to save a bit for a rainy day because I'm a bit concerned about what's going to happen. So I think it's it's going to be very challenging. And I mean, you just have to look at the John Lewis partnership this week. I mean, they have decided to cut their staff bonus quite significantly because they've said, even though they've made profits, their profits were up 21%, they've said that they feel that they need to retain more cash to prepare themselves for the next few years and indeed longer term than that because they want to be investing in robotics and store standards and service and just trying to navigate what is actually quite a difficult period for the retail sector. I think we also have to remember that a lot of retailers hedged their their currency until the end of of 2016. I was talking to World First and they said on the day of Brexit, it was absolutely manic. It was calls all day with people hedging their their currency. But then uh, that sort of ended around 2016. So now we're starting to see those price increases. Um, And I think it will be a sort of bargain where perhaps they won't put all the price rise onto the consumer straight away. Perhaps they'll take 10% of the hike that they're seeing from manufacturers or raw materials and then 5% for the customers. Also, interestingly, I think you know some of the places where we see always able to get real bargains like Aldi and Lidl, I think most of their products are imported, aren't they? So they'll probably be even more affected than perhaps Tesco's. I, I don't know. Um, I think it, it, I mean, there's a lot that retailers can do to mitigate rising um, cost inflation. Obviously, they can have relationships with their suppliers. They can seek sourcing from elsewhere, from cheaper countries. That's particularly, you can see that in the garment trade. You know, you might go to one textile manufacturer in China instead of 10 and and increase the scale so you can get lower costs. Um, But they're all facing it. So they're all in the same boat, which is in some ways, uh, you know, it's not like anyone is better or worse off. But on Aldi and Lidl, um, a lot of their product would actually be sourced in the UK now. I mean, Aldi and Lidl get a lot of their fresh produce from British farming, but import costs are a factor. And, you know, just to talk about John Lewis again, about two thirds of the goods that they sell in their stores are imported. So they are as impacted as anyone else, really. Okay, we'll sit tight. We're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll check in on that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Humdinger of a bell ring. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Welcome back. Yes, that bell was signaling the start of the New York Stock Exchange trading and Snap, that's the parent company of Snapchat. Uh, it started at $17. It nearly hit $30 a share and it's around about $23 now. Alex, why on earth is it so popular? Just explain to us. I have no idea why it's so popular. <laughs> I mean, it, it shouldn't be. That There's no reason for it to be. There are very few analysts that cover it. But, you know, one of the best analysts that does, a guy called Brian Weezer at Pivotal, has got a, a £10 per share price on it. And that, he said, even that is a stretch. And he's run the numbers. So, you know, people, it, it's fear of missing out. And also, you know, there, there's a whole load of, you know, very privileged tech people who got in before the IPO who did very nicely. And then all the knuckleheads, you know, piled in in the days afterwards. And already they're sitting on big paper losses. Maybe it will go up again. But there are so many uncertainties around Snapchat, you know, about its revenue models. It's, you know, user group, which is actually not such a difficult user group to to reach. And, you know, Facebook just copying all the clever things it does. There's another hidden flaw in Snapchat, which um, these guys at Pivotal have pointed out. And that's it's very technical, but it's quite interesting. It's to do with their restricted stock units. It's it's how much how many shares they've given to their own staff. And it's roughly the equivalent of 1.4 million each to staff. It's diluting the share. If, if all those people were to vest their shares, it would dilute their ownership by 11%. And it's way, way out of line compared with any of the other companies, even Facebook and Twitter, which are, are high up on all those variables. So it's got a lot going against it. And yet somehow I wouldn't be surprised if people carry on buying it once once a little Do you use it? Dip. No, 
No. Oh, you don't send it out, Rage, there. Didra, do you use it? No, it's, um, I've only just got to Instagram, but I'm kind of a late adopter. I mean, I was still using a, a Walkman in about 2007, 8. So, <laughs> you know, my mixtapes from my teenage years, got to play them somehow. valuable piece of antique. Now. I know, I actually have three Walkmans in my collection, but obviously I am aware of Snapchat. I just, I, I don't know, it just seem every few years there's, you get one IPO that seems to capture the imagination and it looks like it, you know, it, you're taking more optimistic view that it could have huge growth potential if more and more people start using it. Snapchat was the the app that suddenly made me feel properly old because uh, every other, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it was just when you're a teenager or, or, or a student, you just adapt to it so easily. And you're like, yeah, this is, you know, what this is just great. And then Snapchat came along and I was like, wow, this is, I just don't really understand how to use this. It's quite complicated. And, and I, think, I just thought. I think, Tom, you should reveal your age in the interest <laughs> of openness <laughs> so, so that our listeners can. What's all this about streaking? Yeah. I mean, what's that all about? Yeah, I yeah, thought it's... that was more so the I'm... highlight of a rugby match. So I'm uh, I'm 27, um, but uh, it, yeah, it was beyond me. But my 15 year old brother loves it. He uses it every day, and there's all these weird like jargon. Like you, you pair up with people where you you decide to swap pictures all day, and it's just one person, one of your friends, and you're you're kind of linked for them for the day. So you just have to exchange pictures of boring stuff like this is me in the car, and it's just and it, it's very interesting actually. I think this next generation, they say. Uh, of, of the three generations, there was there was people who speak by phone, and then sort of my generation who preferred to speak by text, and then my brother's generation who preferred to speak by pictures. He just expresses everything in picture form, which I think is quite interesting. But not a sustainable economic model, though. Presumably. No, no. I mean, you know, but we've seen this with Facebook and Twitter. I remember when Facebook uh, did their IPO, everyone was like, "Oh, this is ridiculous! It's so overpriced." I mean, you would think people would learn these lessons, but they they don't. I think, as Alex said, it's this but fear of I, missing I out. I think the difference. You know, I I remember talking to early, you know, VC investors in Facebook before the IPO, and they, they were saying, "This is we're just printing money." They were saying, and they 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 knew. I've never heard anyone say that about Snapchat. So. You know, I think this is different. And any clever good thing that Snapchat does, Facebook just copies. So, Just did you, talking about venture capitalists and so on, did you see that lovely, it was so Californian, uh, one of the early uh, investors in Snapchat persuaded his daughter's high school to invest $15,000 in Snapchat. They sold it on the IPO. I think they made $1.14 million. It's, I was like, that can only happen in California. Yeah. Well, at least they sold at the right time. Yeah. Oh, no, they didn't I think sell it, was it all. 15 they, million, though, yeah, they didn't it? sell it, it all. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 They kept a, a yeah. stake back. I don't want to say I'm bitter about it all. Um, just before we go, though, um, I gather you're off to sunnier climbs, Tom. Just tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm off to Mipim in Cannes. Which uh, is? Which is the, where the great and good of the property world meet um, and, and sort of exchange deals, contacts and gossip on yachts. And Apparently, drink. And drink. Apparently more <laughs> champagne is drunk at the uh, Mipim than it is at the Cannes Film Festival. Deirdre is a veteran of Mipim and knows Absolutely. a lot more about it than me. But um, it's it yeah. used to be sort of just before the recession, it was kind of seen as the last days of Rome where there were these extremely lavish parties. No, absolutely. You know, um, but it has a serious side, though, doesn't it? 
No, well, it does. I mean, it's it's she obviously about, <laughs> about 18,000, 19,000 people go. It's people from all over the world. So investors can often get access to people they may, might not ordinarily meet. And, you know, for people in the UK property industry who tend to, you know, populate Mayfair in the city, it can be a way to meet overseas investors, foreign local authorities, which obviously if you're a developer is important. Um, so a lot of important work goes on but it there's also a big focus on dinners and networking and champagne parties and lots and lots of yachts which is really quite fun because you can you know kind of pretend to live like the other half for a week <laughs> so i hope you'll be tweeting regularly we'll forgive the fat finger if it's late at light and we'll know that late at night i should say and uh, we'll know the cause tom but you are you you will be there won't you i will uh, uh, yeah do you remember uh to keep up to date with all that uh that's about it now and um as well as mipim and all the parties and events so uh, you can follow them and on your phone your tablet and the paper uh if you'd like to become a subscriber, sign up at thetimes.co.uk and, of course, that will give you access to our morning and lunchtime business emails. If you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes and uh, do feel free to post comments. We'd love to hear from you. My thanks, as always, to Deirdre Hipwell, Alex Freen and Tom Knowles. Kanban Tom Knowles. I'm not bitter. They're all on Twitter, so please do follow them and uh, join us again next week. Thanks for listening. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Business Britain.